0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.
1: Since Federation, Australians have gone to the polls to vote in a referendum 44 times. That's in 117 years. So not often at all. This weekend is history making. Australians have been asked to vote on anything from a republic to establishing a retiring age of 70 for judges of federal courts. But the hit rate isn't great. Only eight referendums have passed in Australia, and that is in stark contrast, say, to the Republic of Ireland, where 38 referendums have been held and 32 were passed. The last time Australia passed a referendum was in 1977 under the Fraser government.
0: Good evening. On May the 21st, we're all going to have an opportunity to have a say in our own future. Four questions are going to be put to all of us affecting the Constitution. The questions that are being put to us all are, in our view, fair, sensible and just. They will make the Constitution work better. Now, I know that in the past, people have had a tendency to vote no when constitutional questions and referendum have been put. I think in the past, maybe, there's been a good reason for this. It has often been the federal politicians asking for more power for themselves. And I think people are a little suspicious of politicians who ask for more power.
1: Now, that referendum was a yes, but that was the analogue world of 1977 where prime ministers address the nation. In our digital world, campaigning has taken a very different shape and a lot of it has been on TikTok.
2: A voice. The voice to the parliament. The voice. The voice. Everyone's
0: talking about it.
2: If you're an Aussie under 42, we're going to be voting in our first ever referendum. A
0: yes vote would lead to a change in the constitution.
1: Both the yes and no camps will be looking to secure your vote. Both yes and no camps have tapped into the full power of social media to push their cause and the success of that is yet to be known. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wajak country, Perth. Across the country, Australians are turning out in droves to cast an early vote in the first referendum this century. With Saturday fast approaching, residents in Central Australia are lining up to vote. The place where a push for a voice began, but in Aboriginal town camps and communities on the outskirts of Alice Springs, many say they're still unsure what they're voting for and are cautious about what the referendum outcome may mean.
3: Alice Springs reporter Lara Stimpson
1: has the story.
3: The Red Centre. It's where the journey to a referendum for constitutional recognition began with the Uluru Statement from the heart. This week, the focus has returned to Central Australia as people prepare to cast their vote. including residents of the Aboriginal town camps and communities surrounding Alice Springs. But there's still confusion here about what they're actually voting for. It's felt by Hidden Valley Town Camp Vice President Arunderman, Tim McNamara.
4: We don't know what's going to happen, but we've still got to hold our culture strong. But we don't know what yes is. We still don't know what yes means. We know yes means for everything like that. Yeah, I can do that,
3: yes, I can do that.
4: But voting who's going to explain it to us.
3: A similar story has been told in recent weeks from across remote Australia of voters hearing about the voice for the first time outside the front doors of the polling place. This was the experience of Arunda woman, Amungana resident, Brianna Webb. Because telling me... The-
5: Vote
2: yes. oh, really? Who was telling you
6: about? Yes. There was some um, couple
3: of white fellas there. Fears of division as a result of the referendum debate have been shared widely by the No campaign. It's something demand Nuki Turner of Hidden Valley Town Camp feels he has seen in his community.
4: It's dividing the nation. Like it's making everybody up their own racial opinions and all that now like people can talk freely and whatever you know and it's all racist now like it will be yeah it's going to turn into a big racial thing
3: while there is confusion about what the voice means there is a deep desire for change in these town camps and communities Tim McNamara wants more safety and better futures for the children of Hidden Valley
4: Uh, In our community, uh, more of our community, more safety for our children, going to school, you know, and more, you know, we're not going back, we're going forward.
3: Aranda woman Daphne Malkatana, who also lives at Hidden Valley, holds hope for a safer community too.
7: Yeah, stop fighting,
3: stop the violence, live happily, peace in peace. There's a real concern here in central Australia about what happens next after the polls close and Australia has decided either yes or no. Our man Brett Burdett, who lives in Amungana, fears a no vote will leave his community with no real avenue to make change.
4: By everything Whatever we put forward is being chucked out. Head down, back to square one. No one doesn't want us to move forward. We're stuck, same face, talking about the same issues.
3: While Nookie Turner fears that if the yes vote wins and an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice is enshrined in the Constitution, his people still won't be heard by those in power.
4: Instead of them coming in and saying, I think this is better for you, you know, they should be asking us how we want things. And to vote for yes, we don't know. So, oh, sorry.
1: <laughs> Aaron Demand, Nookie Turner, ending that story from Alice Springs reporter Lara Stimpson in a collaboration with reporter Charmaine Allison. Unlike our last referendum in 1999, where social media was just in its infancy and smartphones were years away, this referendum has been strongly influenced by the likes of Instagram and TikTok. For many people, it's even been their main source of information.
0: Anyway, we have a political thing going on down here. Called The Voice A voice The Voice to the
2: Parliament The Voice The Voice
0: Everyone's talking about it
2: If you're an Aussie under 42,
0: we're going to be voting in our first ever referendum (laughs) On the ballot paper, you will see the proposed change to the constitution and be asked whether you support it or not A yes vote would lead to a change in the constitution
8: Both the yes and no camps will be looking to secure your vote I read online that Indigenous people,
9: they don't even want
0: it 80% of us do
9: What about the elders? Which ones? The ones we acknowledge the past in the present and the um, other ones. What are they saying?
4: Have you Googled it?
8: I really don't know much about the referendum.
10: No. I don't understand it. I don't know um, what it's going to do for us.
4: I don't understand why everyone's so afraid of an advisory committee.
5: I don't want others to look at me differently. I'm just like any other Australian.
4: We have so much more work to do. Life expectancy, incarceration, education employment. We know these stats, but they won't listen. If we can't be heard, we can't be seen.
1: A flavour of what's out there on TikTok. Riley Coote and Mae Jones live in Denmark on WA's south coast, and they both recently turned 18, and they're preparing to vote for the first time tomorrow. They spoke to Albany reporter Chris Edmondson about how it feels to have their vote counted and how they got their information.
2: It is a big responsibility, but I feel like it's a more of a personal responsibility. Like, I feel
0: like I can finally express my opinion. So has this been something you've been looking forward to, to some time? That you, know, you watch the world as a young person, you watch the world when you're not eligible to vote. You're kind of waiting until you get a chance to have your say. Absolutely, and I'm very excited to
2: finally be able to make a proper difference.
0: And may you're voting for the first time as well. This time it's a referendum, it's not a general election. So it's more simple in the way that you choose your preference, but less complicated than a general election. How are you feeling about your knowledge of what you know about voting in the Voice of Parliament referendum this weekend?
5: I think this referendum is a really good opportunity for me to learn how to gather information, because... Um, there's a lot out there and you don't always know what your opinion is until you go out and find it. So I think the referendum is a really good yeah, way to introduce me into this world of decision making and the voice is obviously something that's really important and I think will affect this country a lot.
0: You've mentioned going out and finding the information. Mm. How have you found the information? Have you found it's been an easy process or have you found it, it's been a difficult process to find out the information that you need to make a decision that you want to make?
5: Um, I actually think it's been fairly easy because it's a very relevant topic at the moment and there has been a lot of information that has been almost pushed onto me, I think. I think there's a lot of people trying to express their own opinion onto you. So finding information has been relatively easy, but I think it's important to look at both sides so you have more of an idea of what you think is right.
0: And Riley, I'll go back to you here. In the case of what you do and don't know about the referendum, what you should be doing in that case. You've obviously done your homework, I'm assuming. You've tried to research what you can. But tell me, how have you found the debate? As a first-time voter, how have you found the tone of the debate? Is it something that you are surprised by, expected? How do you feel about it? Um, Going into it, I didn't really
2: expect it to be so sort of volatile. Uh, There's a lot of very strong opinions, but now, like in, in... Almost retrospect, even though it hasn't happened yet, I, I realize it. It makes a lot of sense because it's a topic that is always going to be fueled by hate and love on both sides. So it's always going to be like constantly this like hyper uh, opinionated thing. So having like a lot of really strong parties going at it is really interesting because it means that I can point my view in that direction. So I can look at it from both sides because there's there's a lot of opinions.
0: Once this referendum has been completed, whether it's a yes note or a no vote, Riley, you talked about being excited about finally having a chance to have your say. Do you think you'll still be engaged in the political process? Do you think it's something that you're going to both learn more as your responsibility as Australian citizens continues?
2: Um, I'll definitely try and follow up as much as I can because it's something that's super important to our nation. So I feel like it's, if, if I'm gonna input into that, I should follow it through, so it, obviously if it goes through i'll be I'll be following that process and seeing what they do with that new found uh, how do I say space that they've created so I, I definitely think I'm going to try and follow it as much as I can
5: definitely I'm really interested to see how um, this vote does affect our country, and I think whether it be yes or no, both are definitely going to yeah influence the way we do things and the way yeah that the country's run. So I'm very interested to see what will happen.
1: That was Riley Coote and Mae Jones who live in Denmark on WA South Coast, speaking to our reporter Chris Edmondson.
5: This is
0: ABC Australia Wide.
1: A waste product from West Australia's pearling industry will soon be used to make synthetic bone material for orthopaedic trauma and reconstructive surgeries. It'll be done at a new biotech facility that opens in Broome today. Alice Marshall has the story.
6: One of the Kimberley's oldest industries has today taken a big step into the future. What was once considered to be a low-value waste product by Broome's pearlers, the shells, better known as Mother of Pearl, are said to become Pearl Bone, in a world first form of synthetic bone substitute. The company behind it is Marine Biomedical, and CEO Patrick Mose said work first started back in 2016.
10: Professor Minghao Zeng from the University of Western Australia uh, came to Broome and actually had the opportunity to go out uh, to one of the pearl farms here and and had a look around at the how the whole operation works and looked at the culturing of the pearl, which was where his original interest was. And then he realized um that the byproduct, which was the mother of Pearl, was just kind of being uh utilized in, in a way that was not commercial for the industry. Uh byproduct was sold to China. So he started to look into it, understand whether it um what sort of calcium carbonate it contained and then started to do a lot of work on, on its ability to biomimic human bone. Fast forward to today, and we're on the cusp of opening our facility this evening.
6: But it's not exactly easy turning a mollusk into human bone substitute.
10: Uh, it's, it's quite a lengthy process. We need to obviously get the shell into a very high level of quality, so our um, quality control Standards are so high because we need to make sure that all we're contributing into the product is the pure calcium carbonate out of the ocean. So it's a process of uh, cleaning up the shell and removing the outer outer layer, the external layer which is exposed to the ocean, and and really just utilising the nacre all by itself and compressing that into a, a fine powder, and then it runs through a series of uh, reactions to get it to biomimic human bone.
6: So if you're in need of a bone replacement, will your surgeon be using pearl bone just yet? Not quite, Patrick explains.
10: Well, we're hoping for a clinical trial towards the end of next year. Uh, and we've we got our fingers crossed for regulatory approval in the US, July, August uh, next year, 2024. And from there, we'll do a human clinical study in Australia Is our intention. So uh, quite exciting. Um, that human clinical study will take some time. Uh, But regulatory approval in the U.S. allows us to market the product in the U.S.
6: Minister for Medical Research Stephen Dawson says the state government has supported this venture because he thinks it'll give the Kimberley a boost.
0: Well, look, really excited to uh, be
10: involved in the launch of what is a world-class laboratory and manufacturing facility in Broome the product will be used as a low risk alternative to the synthetic bone substitutes that are already used in the market if someone needs a you know a new
5: new knee or a new joint
1: It's pretty amazing, isn't it? WA Minister for Medical Research Stephen Dawson, ending that story from Alice Marshall and additional reporting there by Nadia Mitsopoulos. Mm -hmm. Finally, we're going to head to Wagga Wagga in New South Wales to find out about an alternate sentencing court for adult Aboriginal people. It's called Circle Sentencing, where respected Aboriginal community members, the offender's family, victims and the local court magistrate work together to determine an appropriate sentence. The circle program has been successful and has been expanded from 12 local courts to 20 across New South Wales. Emily Doak has more. Courtrooms can be a confronting environment. It's very formal, the language is
11: often complex and in sentencing it's the solicitor, prosecutor and magistrate that do the talking. Circle sentencing, which involves Aboriginal elders and community members, victims, the offender and their family, takes a different approach. As Magistrate Rebecca Hosking explains... It takes away that formality
8: of everyone being in their own camp in the courtroom in a triangle. And we stop being in a triangle and we become part of the circle where we're all looking at what the solution is for this particular defendant. The features that we see so often in our courtrooms are drugs, alcohol, trauma, mental health issues... In the circle process, we have much more time um, and information to delve into these and try and develop a sentence that's structured with a view to managing and dealing with some of these underlying issues, with the ultimate aim always being to reduce recidivism. Any sentence has achieved its aim if it is the last time that a defendant enters that courtroom. In an ordinary sentence, I'm essentially sitting as judge and jury, you might think. Um, whereas in a circle sentence, I'm there to facilitate these open discussions and help the parties all engage uh, throughout the process and then guide the circle members uh, within the boundaries of just the discretion that I have in relation to setting a sentence. And provided they're within that scope and boundary of the law and of what the community would expect as reasonable sentencing for the offences we're dealing with, the ultimate sentence is up to them.
11: Radriel DeLoyd Dolan has been a community representative in a number of circles since it began operating in Wagga Wagga last December and says it can have a profound impact.
7: Yeah, convictions are still the same. If the person goes through, court orders are still the same. It's no different to going into the courthouse the only difference is you're actually coming across local community people that you see outside of the court system. It actually makes the person think really about the impact for community and you know, whether it's their own kids or whether it's you know, their relatives' kids or even their elders in the community, how it makes them feel. It's not just about them. So, And I guess normally through the court system, you can go to court and nobody really knows that you've been to court. But this way, it's a more of a public approach, which is more of a traditional practice for law anyway. It's more of that community because it's about the community and benefits of the community as a whole.
11: And for you personally, why was it something you wanted to be involved in?
7: Yeah, to be honest, I got a family history of, you know, brothers and sisters being involved with correctional facilities and inside and yeah, never had this sort of option as well. But it's also sharing those stories with others So that when we come to circle, it's letting people know that they are not the only ones going through this. And even members sitting in the circle as elders and participants, often many have um, have grown up through similar circumstances. And it's also then showing that, yeah, you can do something different. You don't have to keep into those habits that you've developed.
11: Wiradjuri woman Simone Jolly works with the Department of Communities and Justice. She's involved in organising the circles in Wagga Wagga.
9: I I talk about culture and traditions and things in my way, and circle sentencing is very much a traditional practice. So um, that, that, that is the tradition that I relate to. Yeah. And I suppose it's
11: something that is relatable for Indigenous people. So, so that's
9: at the heart of what, what this initiative's about. Very much so, yeah. We've been getting some great results, um, some really good feedback from both you know, people at court people participating in Circle, so the members. And and so what sort of a difference do you think that it's made or have you been seeing? The principles of sentencing, you know, it can get very matter-of-fact and just has to be this way, this way, this way in the normal court. Um, In Circle, it gives us a little chance to um, just expand on those principles a little, explore them a little further Dig a little deeper into the reasons why people are offending. What what's happened in their life that's brought them to this point? Circle gives people a chance to tell their story and and be heard. This is this is the really big difference um, that that circle sentencing can bring to an offender. The solicitor will speak for the offender in court. The police will speak for a victim. In circle, they can speak to each other in a safe. Cultural space, um, and it can be very healing for both, especially for the victim, because it's not just the offender that circle is is there for. The, the way that Aboriginal people used to deal with the, with things like that that would come up, because we're not like a we're we're a peaceful culture, and so we would sit down and talk these things out. And they have to face that person that they've hurt or, or committed their crime against, take account uh, for that, be responsible.
11: You've also bought you know, a really important part of your culture and 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 a beautiful skill to the process as well, weaving some mats in a circle. Can you describe it for me?
9: So centrepiece is a Aboriginal flag with a little gugga who sits in the middle representing Wiradjuri country. On the outside are some wavy pieces that represent uh, the great serpent who is a law keeper and also helped carve the rivers and mountains and areas here in Wiradjuri. Um, and then the outer circles represent members in the circle um, in the colours of country, uh, fiery, earthy colours, um, some nice blues that represent sort of mountains and, and, and sky and lakes. Um, we have some beautiful flowers um, like the lily colours.
11: So how important is it for you to bring a little bit of that culture a this cultural knowledge to, as you say, what can be quite a a clinical and sterile kind of environment in terms of a courtroom?
9: It's a yarning mat, basically. We sit it there in the centre of the circle. It also helps to bring that beautiful, cultural, safe space to, you know, an otherwise tense situation or conversation. Magistrate
11: Hosking says research from the Bureau of Crime Statistics from 2020 shows that circle sentencing in other parts of the state has delivered positive outcomes. And what they found
8: was offenders participating in circle sentencing are 9.3 percentage points less likely to receive a prison sentence, 3.9 percentage points less likely to re-offend within 12 months and take 55 days longer to reoffend if and when they do. So that comes back to the principles that I was mentioning before, that the aim of the game is for the crime for that person to stop. And that doesn't just affect that person, it impacts all of their family members and importantly the next generation, because what we do see is generational crime. We see families um, returning at three different generations. So... Even small percentage points can, in the long run, have a very significant impact.
11: Lloyd Dolan says it's also made him more aware of the gaps in support services for his community, empowering Elders to lobby for change.
7: And that different approach to correctional centres is saying, you know, like I was saying, it's what's actually going on with this person, and so it actually makes you think, What services do we actually have in our community? So then when we go into our community agencies, we can go, right, we need to look at this service for our community. How do we bring that? So then it has a flow on effects in communities as well.
1: Wiradjuri elder Lloyd Dolan ending that story from Emily Doak. And that is Australia Wide for this week. Thanks to Alex Hyman for all his production this week as well. I hope you all have a lovely weekend. Of course, go out and vote. I'm Sinead Mangan.
0: Cheerio. we say listen